Welcome to episode 2 of Lead from the Deck, an unofficial podcast for SkyTear, the card-driven tabletop MOBA by PvP Geeks. Hosted by me, Adam Levitt, with music provided by my wonderful wife, Emmeline Levitt. Today we will be doing our first faction deep dive, and we will be covering Nupton, the yellow sand air faction of SkyTear. We are going to be discussing the uh, the flavor, the strengths, the weaknesses, the cards, the heroes, everything that this faction has to offer. And hopefully, by the end of it, you will love them as much as I do. I've been playing a whole bunch with them, and these guys are just... Nupton is all about being tricky and weird and being able to do things that your opponent just does not expect. Before we get started with the, uh, the deep dive itself, we got some uh, orders of business to take care of. First of all, thank you to everyone who, uh, who reached out to me after the first episode, who listened to the first episode. Uh, everyone's been incredibly supportive of this, and uh, I was very glad to hear that someone got something out of it at least. Uh, secondly, once again, there's a, a thriving Discord community for this that's uh, currently being run or, or being fostered by PvP Geeks, and uh, it's alive and well. Come join us. There are plenty of people playing games on Tabletop Simulator every day, all day, during this uh, global quarantine we're all going through. We'd love to, to show you how to play the game. Everyone has been incredibly kind. And lastly... I've, uh, I've thought a lot about how to structure these deep dive episodes, and uh, what I've landed on is first we're going to give you a little bit of an idea of the, uh, the lore and the flavor of the faction. Then we're going to go over the just the general strengths and weaknesses again, give you another overview. So that way, if, you, if you're just in this for a little bit of information about the faction, you can listen to that, and you can jet before the extra hour at the end of the episode that dives into everything else. Then... We're going to get into the meat of the episode, and the meat is going to be the cards. And I'm going to discuss uh, kind of a breakdown of their modifiers, their mana, kind of how many cards they have in each uh, each mana cost. And then we'll, uh, we'll talk about each card individually. I- I've kind of grouped them into groups, and we'll just compare the, uh, the pros and cons of each and when you might bring one over the other. Then we'll go into the heroes. Um, we will talk about... Uh, the just the basic abilities of the hero, the strengths, weaknesses, and kind of how to counter the, each hero, and uh, and then we should be done. By that point, you should uh, you should know everything there is to know about Nupton. So, without further ado, let's uh, let's go ahead and get this thing started. To start our deep dive into Nupton, I want to start by reading the lore for this faction. First of all, because I love the lore in this game, and it's it really does a good job of of synergizing with the abilities and the way that they've designed the faction and also just to to give you an idea of the flavor that this this faction is supposed to have what is nupton about so the rulebook says and uh, i'll do my best to read this in a a cool storyteller voice it says uh, nupton was the first god to teach his worshipers to channel and manipulate sky tear creating a brand new race of superior beings that ruled above every other creature Arrogant and conceited beyond imagination, it believes its skills are superior to all other gods. Heroes of Nupton summon illusions to manipulate other people's minds and feelings. Some of their most powerful magicians, though, are able to impose their mind over matter as well, somehow bending parts of reality to their will. Air runes exist on ethereal and mind plane, rather than giving them a physical form. 
Thanks to their impalpable nature, they elevate their bearers, if we can call them so, mental skills above human conception, giving them the power to manipulate both reality and thoughts. Really just a great piece of lore. I love that they're just this haughty, arrogant race, and the fact that they kind of have that uh, almost like Persian look to their art and, and the, the style of them. It just it, it all fits together so well. Uh, and it does a good job of, of, I don't know, just kind of giving context to the abilities and the heroes and uh, just this whole world of Sky Tear that they're building. So it mentioned the uh, worship ability, the illusions that Nupton can put out on the board. I'm going to give you a little bit, I'm going to go into that worship ability, explain what it does and how you can use it so that you can keep that in mind while we're uh, talking about the abilities and cards. So as it said, Nupton places down illusions on the board. Uh, they, Nupton being the counterpart to Talot, the green faction, they both place something on the board, but um, Nupton's are a little bit more versatile, and by that I mean they can move around the board after they've been placed. When you take the worship action, what you do is you can first optionally place the illusion underneath the that hero's hex. Then move them up to three hexes, ignoring any movement restrictions, and they have to end their movement on an empty hex, so it can't have another pillar in it, no minions, no figures of any kind, it has to be a completely empty hex, and they can move three hexes. Now what this means is that they can move as far away from their caster as you want them to. You may not necessarily want to move them that far away, but they can continue to move, and then at any time they can always reset back at where the caster is. Um, this is important because it allows you, the way that their their illusions work is they project heroes, is what how it describes it. Um, what that means is every Nupton hero within line of sight of that illusion gets some sort of special ability that's specified on that hero's card. And so what this can let you do is, since they can move freely about the board, your hero whose illusion it is doesn't necessarily have to be the hero who's benefiting from its projected benefit. Um, this also means that um, some of the benefits on the hero cards can be used on opposite sides of the board from where the hero is, because these illusions are free to move around. A great example of this is Akuti. Her projected, well, not her projected ability, but her illusion ability is after she resolves an attack action, she can deal one plus a card damage to a minion adjacent to her illusion. Um, something important about this ability is that you don't have to be in line of sight of your illusion and you don't have to attack a minion first. This is where some of that, that flexibility that being able to move these illusion comes into play. That's the worship action for Nupton. By utilizing the flexibility of their illusions and their ability to move around the map, Nupton can pull off some really cool moves that are all centered around those illusions. Let's go ahead and uh, dive next in just kind of a, a faction overview once again. Uh, we talked about this last week, but I, I do want to go over just the general strengths and weaknesses of the faction before we dive into the cards and the heroes and get into the little minutiae. So that way, if you don't really care about yellow all that much, you can listen to this section, get an idea of what they're all about, and then just go your own way. So first of all, their strengths, the, the biggest one is direct damage. They have really the only direct damage in the game. Uh, Blue's got a little bit of it with Frail and her healing, and, um, and then the strength of the pack. And there are a couple other cards here and there that will do some direct damage to heroes, but the majority of that direct damage is going to be coming from dipping into the Nupton card pool. They, are also, they also have some of the best responses and counters in the game. 
Um, they only have one movement ability, but a card, but they have uh, three of the best counter cards in the game in redirect, dispel, and soul swap. Uh, really, really, really scary to play against. It's so much easier to play against an enemy when they don't have access to the yellow card pool because there are so many less variables that you have to worry about them being able to play to cancel whatever you're trying to do. Uh, they also have two mages, which is a big deal. Uh, no other faction has that, and one of their mages is melee, which uh, means he has more health, and uh, Shafathi is has some versatility to him as well. This means that uh, they're a fairly good counter to their their opposite, Taulot, who's all about that armor. But those that extra mage means that they have a, are very good against Taulot's probably biggest strength, their durability. Their last strength is that their worship action is the cheapest action-wise. Uh, what I mean by this, well, the best way to demonstrate it would be to look at Leothan, who's the most expensive. Uh, that's the blue faction, and their worship action is to shapeshift themselves. Now that, the benefits of that action go away every turn. Uh, if you were shapeshifted at the beginning of your turn, you're taking that shapeshift token away at the end of your turn. If you shapeshift during your turn, it's also going away at the end of your turn. And then you are getting no benefits from anywhere. It costs you an entire action just to get that benefit for one turn. Uh, that is by far the most expensive action-wise. Uh, then, to go, back, to go back down, I would say Koromo is probably the next most expensive, followed by Talot. And the reason why I think Talot is still more expensive than Nupton's is the best abilities that Nupton, or that Talot has is when they remove a pillar, which requires you to take that worship action. Their abilities that they get when they're in line of sight of a pillar are all right, but they're nowhere good as Nupton's projection abilities. So what I mean by the cheapest is that with Nupton, you can place an illusion and be getting a fantastic benefit from it, both their top benefit that's specific to them and the bottom projected benefit on one or two heroes without ever taking a worship action again. As long as you're placing that illusion well, uh, you can go one, two, or even three turns without ever taking a worship action again and still benefiting from it at its max efficiency the entire time. Okay, let's move on. Now that we've covered their strengths, let's move on to their weaknesses. Uh, the first big one is durability. Uh, it's the strength of their enemy, and they are very bad at it. They have very low armor across the board, uh, with very little ways to gain any sort of armor or durability. They do have access to those great cancels, and they have access to the healing in blue, but there are really not a ton of ways to uh, mitigate damage besides just outright canceling it in uh, in Nupton. Uh, their other big weakness would be disables. They don't have access to really any of them. They have one disarm card in their pool, and then they have access to the, the one or two other disables in the blue or yellow or blue or red pool. But green is where most of those disables sit, and they have access to none of them. So that's what you need to make sure you're looking out for when you're playing yellow. You don't have access to those debuffs and those disables, and you are uh, overall very squishy. Um, if you don't have a way to cancel your enemy's attack, it is going to hurt. Alright, that, that just about does it for our faction overview section. Up next, we're going to move into breaking down the cards in the Nupton card pool. Uh, we're going to break down the modifiers, so kind of give you an idea of how those are spread out. Um, then we'll go over the mana costs, just give you an idea of what their card pool is, how many three costs you have available, everything like that. And then I have the cards broken out into different 
archetypes, uh, types of cards, and we're going to discuss each of those and the pros and cons of each card in this game. Uh, the great thing about this game is that there are very few dead cards, if any. Um, that's something I talked about in my faction overview. Every single card has a pro and a con or a cost and a benefit that you have to weigh against each other. And so I, I feel like breaking them out into these different archetypes is going to be the most helpful way to discuss them as we can then talk about them in relation to each other. For example, taking uh, Nightmares Incarnate and comparing it to Shattermind. Both of those cards do almost the same thing, but one costs a little bit more and one can target minions. There's just You have to be able to discuss the, the pros and cons of each in relation to each other, because if you just look at the card on its own, it's, it's not going to be helpful. So let's go over the uh, modifier and mana costs, uh, at least a breakdown of those. So modifiers, we've got uh, three minus ones, five zeros, seven plus ones, and three plus twos. I kind of flew through that, but really what you need to know about the, the Nupton card pool is they have a ton of minus ones, the, the most plus twos tied with red, and then uh, not that many zeros. So uh, almost every card you flip, if you're bringing yellow cards, is going to have some sort of modifier on it as they only have five of those uh, zero modifier cards in their pool. Um, so it, it's a lot of high highs and low lows is, is what, how I like to think of it since they have all of those minus ones in their card pool. For their uh, mana breakdown, yellow specializes in two mana cost cards, uh, which I really like. It gives you some really good consistency in your deck as you'd really like to see a three when you're leading from the deck but twos always have uh, really good effects when you play them, and they strike a really good balance between having that strong effect and good ability to be played out of your hand, and not being the worst thing in the world when you lead from the deck with it. Yeah, you'd like to see a three, but if you see a two, you're still going to be doing fairly well for yourself. Okay, let's uh, dive into the actual cards themselves. I have thought a lot about how to do this section, um, everything from just reading off the text on all the cards in a row to not talking about them really at all and just giving you a top five. But I think I've landed on the best way to do this uh, on a way that will allow you to understand what I'm talking about and hopefully remember the cards, even if you don't necessarily have them in front of you reading along with me. So what I've done is I've grouped the cards that are all similar and kind of overlap with each other. And I'm going to list those, say what they do, and then talk about the differences and kind of why you would bring one over another in different situations. And we are going to start with the, the age-old question that everyone going through the yellow card pool has asked themselves. Should I take Swiftness or should I take the other fast one? <laughs> Where is it? What's it called? Time Glitch. <laughs> Should I take Swiftness or should I take Time Glitch? Both of them apply fast to your hero. Both of them cost one mana. But here's where the differences start. One of them gives you a plus two and lets you remove a condition. And the other one gives a plus one and lets you draw a power card. This, there, there's no winning here. Both of these cards have equal value. It's just what value you think you're going to need. I do tend to lean a little bit more towards Swiftness just because drawing a power card is something you're always going to need and that's going to be more consistent. 
But when you're in a situation where you need to remove a condition, you will be so grateful you have that time glitch in your hand. Uh, really, any way you can get fast. Honestly, a lot of the times I just end up bringing a little bit of both of them because they both have their, their pros and cons. All right, up next, we have the direct damage single target cards. Now, these are Shattermind, Nightmares Incarnate, and Migraine. Uh, all three of these cards deal damage to a single enemy and have a plus one modifier. Uh, where the differences are is Shattermind is a one cost card that is an action, and Migraine and Nightmares Incarnate are both two cost cards that are reactions. Now, the kind of uh, the way that I weigh these against each other, at first I was Shattermind all the way, do or die, why would I ever bring Nightmares Incarnate? Uh, they do the same amount of damage, but one costs more mana. Uh, even though it's a reaction, I can just play it on my turn. But as I've started to look at the yellow card pool, and I've played with both of them, Nightmares Incarnate adds that extra flexibility of being able to kill a minion, as it's just target enemy rather than target hero. And it also gives you the ability to play it on someone else's turn, or as a reaction to something, instead of just being a hard action like Shattermind. And, and this can give you some really good flexibility. And, and on top of that being a two mana cost card, it, it allows you to include it in your deck without being scared that you're going to accidentally lead with it from the deck. Now, I'm not saying Shattermind's a bad card. It's just you really have to, to weigh these against each other. What are you trying to get out of the card when you're adding it into your deck? Because if you are, are worried that you might need more ways to kill minions, then bringing Nightmares Incarnate can be a really good shift. If, if you already have plenty of ways to kill minions, if you've brought three Dragon Punches and a whole bunch of Hurricane Strikes, then maybe you can just switch over to the Shattermind that's purely about doing that damage to the hero. There, there's honestly nothing more satisfying than playing two or three Shatterminds on a single person in one turn. Uh, it's devastating, especially if you use Soteru, who gets plus one damage on it. You're talking eight to 12 damage without even taking an action, and that's crazy. Uh, Migraine, I put in kind of a realm of its own. It's the only disable that yellow has available to it. And so it's, it's, I always include at least one of them in my card pool and it's a reaction and it, it does a little damage on top of that, but don't get fooled into thinking that this is going to be one of your main damage cards. The damage is just kind of a nice afterthought for me where it really, really counts is the fact that it lets you apply disarm at range. And that's very strong. That brings us on to our next category, the area of effect direct damage cards. These are the uh, the three three mana cost cards that Nupton has available to them, and all three of them are really solid. Uh, now, things they have in common, uh, well, first of all, these cards are Wind Blast, Twister of Souls, and Soul Scream. They have a lot in common. Uh, first of all, they all cost three mana. They all have a plus zero modifier, and they are all actions that you have to play on your turn. Now, uh, Wind Blast is primarily used to kill minions. Twister of Souls is, is, I mean, it can only be used to hit heroes, but it's primarily used for the ability to then move them one hex. And then Soul Scream does both. It can hit both uh, heroes and minions and do it well. Uh, let's start with Wind Blast. Wind Blast has the, uh, the four hex AoE that looks like a diamond. Uh, and same AoE as Twister of Souls. The difference being that Wind Blast only does two damage to each enemy hit, but it can hit minions. Whereas Twister of Souls does three damage to each hero hit, and you can move them one hex. 
So these are just two sides of the same coin. They're the same cost, same modifier, same action, and uh, the same AoE. The only difference is what they can hit and then what it lets you do. So really just keep that in mind. Windblast is the only other area of effect ability that can kill minions besides Dragon Punch. Uh, Soul Scream can as well, but, but Windblast, it just has more flexibility. So you can bring that in, in a deck to wipe a minion wave clear. It's a fantastic way to catch up on a lane where you're falling behind or get a big lead on a lane where you were already winning. Twister of Souls is the only way that yellow has to move their enemies. Uh, you can dip into blue to get Chasm that does a fairly similar effect, but Twister of Souls lets you move them one hex, and that's really what you're using it for. Uh, honestly, the three damage is, is very nice. Uh, I've used it to kill a hero before, but it's it's more of an afterthought. The, really what you're using it for is that ability to displace people. And then lastly, we have the one right there in the middle, that's Soul Scream. It's got an area of effect that's three hexes adjacent to you. And uh, you deal four plus a card damage to each enemy hit. So in, in a dream world, you're hitting two minions and a hero, or two heroes and a minion with this. But in reality, it typically ends up with you hitting a minion or two, and then um, maybe also a hero. Um, this is a great card. I love its flexibility. It, it, the one downside is that you do have to be adjacent to them. So you do have to put your hero into a little bit of danger to get there. But if you can play this card, it's a, basically a free assassin attack. Four plus the card is a devastating amount of damage to be able to do without spending an action. And then the fact that it can also hit a minion off to the side of you as well. It, it's, uh, it's kind of the, the, the most in between is the balanced version of, of the other two. And I do like that all three of these have their own specific role. Then we're going to move on to uh, uh, to counter abilities. They have four of these. There's uh, Time Warp, which lets you move. Dismiss, which lets you cancel a card with cost two or less. Redirect, which lets you change the target of an effect that has a target. And Soul Swap, which lets you switch physically with one of your friendly allies, and then also switch targets. So if something was targeting your ally and you swap with them, it's now targeting you. Um, all three of these, or all four of these, are, are very powerful counter abilities. These cards right here are, are really the real power of the Nupton faction. Uh, these are the cards that every opponent, when you're playing against them, is going to be wondering and worrying whether or not you have them. These are the cards that are going to force people to have to play around you. Um, and really, no other faction has cards that are quite uh, as good at doing that, uh, getting your opponent to have to play as if you have them in your hand. Um, these are kind of, uh, I, I like to call them Schrodinger cards, because your opponent just has to assume that you both do and do not have them at all times. Um now with that said, let's dive into each of them. Since they are unique, uh, we kind of have to just handle them each alone. Uh, I'm going to start with Soul Swap because it's the one that I, I just have not figured out yet. I've used it a couple of times and used it to great effect. The ability to switch out with someone, a friendly hero, but someone's still getting hit with the attack. And since yellow doesn't really have a ton of durability, I haven't quite figured out how to, to use it without really just... It kind of just feels like it's just taking bad news from one character and putting it on another character rather than actually canceling. Um, then let's talk about redirect. Redirect is 
just great. It's got a plus one. It's the only one out of, uh, of the rest of these that has a plus one. The other three cards in this list have a minus ones. Uh, all four of these cost two mana, but uh, this one actually gives you a, a good flip modifier. And it, it just, so many cards and abilities in this game have the target keyword, and this can be used to counter just about any of them. As long as there's another valid target nearby, you can change it. Just change it over to that new target. Redirect I anytime I can. Anytime there's a yellow mana on any of my characters on my team, I try to bring at least one redirect because it's just it's just it's so good. It's so good. Uh, though that that's all about redirect. Let's talk about dismiss. Dismiss has a minus one modifier, like I said, but it can be used to counter any card that doesn't cost three mana, which is really 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 good. Very flexible. Um, that minus one modifier scares me a little bit, so I don't typically bring three of these. I'll typically bring two if I'm going to bring them. But uh, dismiss, there's always something you can dismiss. And with it being a reaction, there's always some card that your opponent absolutely needs to play in order to pull off what they're wanting to do. And they still get to keep their mana. When you play dismiss, they discard the cards. So they could play something else in its place, but you can really throw a wrench in their works. And then lastly, Time Warp. Time Warp is Yellow's movement ability. Every faction has one two-cost card that lets them uh, move their character or some other character in some way. And Time Warp is the one for Nupton. Uh, what it says is it lets you move the caster one hex. It's a reaction. Uh, it's really, really, really strong. Uh, since it doesn't have the target keyword, you can move across the dome lines to surprise people with uh, being able to control a new point. It can also move you into a cover hex or out of range of someone. Just a, a strong overall reaction that can even be used uh, offensively if someone tries to get away from your, uh, your Haberat who's trying to do an attack on them. Okay, lastly, we're going to talk about, uh, I don't know, kind of the ugly ducklings of the uh, the faction. These are your utility cards that just kind of do something unique. Uh, now, with these ones, I am going to kind of uh, just give you a general overview of them. I'm going to mention a few specific ones that I either didn't like at first but found a use for or just have some sort of interesting thought on. But, but a lot of these just kind of do what they say on the tin, and there's not really much more that you need to know about them. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is Shadow of Death. Shadow of Death is a, a zero modifier, one cost card. It lets you, uh, basically, next time a target adjacent enemy hero would move, you can place your hero next to and in line of sight of them. Um, I didn't love this card, and then I brought Habarat, and now I love this card. It uh, w With those melee assassins, Habarat and Akimo and Shilavi, uh, their biggest weakness is anything that can uh, cancel their attacks, which in this game there are so many things that move heroes or um, cancel targets. Or, or, But really, the biggest cancel for a melee attack is moving out of range. And so having a couple of Shadow of Deaths is almost a requirement for me on Habarat now because it lets him stick to that target. When I declare an attack and I have a Shadow of Death in my hand, I know that they are not going to be able to cancel it. Worst case scenario, they're going to be able to redirect it to someone else because I can play this and I will end up next to them wherever they go. Then um, I, there's two zero-cost cards in yellow. There's Mind Palace and Psychic Vampirism. 
these are are real scary to include in your deck. I've I've twice had it happen where I included uh, a couple of mind palaces and I led from the deck and I ended up with a zero, and that was not a good feeling. But uh, I'll be honest, psychic vampirism is great. Um, it can help keep your your squishy little mages alive, especially if you're bringing a lot of those direct damage cards that yellow is so well known for. But it's just not, it's never been really worth the uh, the offset of the ability to accidentally lead with it for me. Uh, it's still a great card. I, plenty of people are going to use it. It does what it says and it does it very well. But the only one I've really ever considered is Mind Palace. Uh, there are some really just crazy combos that you can pull off. And I will oftentimes just in, like slide one Mind Palace into my deck with the hopes that it ends up in my hand. And if it, it doesn't, chances are pretty good that I'm going to flip it over and it's got that plus two modifier. Alright, that leaves us with only two cards left. Um, and both of these are, no matter how many times I've tried them, I just, I still will probably almost never include them in my deck. Uh, the, the first one is Shardstorm, and the second one is Testudo. And I know specifically on Testudo, there are going to be definitely some people who disagree with me on this. But uh, let, let's start with Shardstorm. Um, I... I I will probably never take this card. It's a two mana cost card. It's got a plus one modifier. And what it does is you, you target an adjacent enemy hero and deal two piercing damage to them and then two piercing damage to each adjacent enemy hero as well. Um, I, I don't know. I, I just don't really see a point in bringing this. I, I almost never see enemy heroes adjacent to each other. Uh, that's one thing about this game is, uh, I mean, quite often you'll have an enemy and a, a friendly next to each other. But very rarely do you have uh, two enemy heroes that that are right next to each other. And if you're only getting two piercing damage out of this, it's, for two mana, it's not that great. I mean, piercing damage is always good, but yellow already has access to two mages. And if you're just playing this and just getting the damage on the one hero, I feel like you're just better off playing a, a, a Shattermind. Um, for the same mana cost, I mean, it does cost you two cards, but for the same mana cost, you can play two Shatterminds and deal six damage. And even if they have two armor, you're still doing two damage to them. So, uh, I, I don't know. That's not a great argument, but I can just never find the value for Shardstorm for me. Because if, if they're bringing tanks, I'm bringing a mage. I'm not bringing Shardstorm. Alright, lastly we've got Testudo. Testudo is a one-cost card, a reaction with a plus two modifier. And it says, when the caster would lose HP, a friendly adjacent minion may prevent the loss and lose that much HP instead. I, I have played this once to save someone's life. And I've played it a couple of other times, and I've regretted it every other single time I've played it. Um, the fact that it's a one-cost card, really this card's only redeeming quality to me is it's plus two. Because that ability, um, I, I almost never... Giving your, your enemy a free minion kill because you don't want to take some damage, unless they're doing eight or nine damage and it's going to kill you. Uh, you have some a chemo up on you who's got like two... Uh, like plus four damage or something I just uh, a free minion kill is so much and I I could never justify it but that's just me it's not necessarily a bad card it does what it does very well I have used it to save someone's life before and I was very grateful but then I ended up taking damage on my tower because of it so I I, I don't know I've I've never really been able to balance that cost out for me and uh, I guess that's just a decision you'll have to make for yourself 
that uh, that's it. We made it through the cards. That uh, is definitely the part I was uh, the most worried about. And now we can move on to the fun part, which is the uh, the heroes. So the way I want to handle heroes in these deep dives is I have five archetypes that, or roles, I guess you could put it, that uh, I feel like heroes can fill or that I want them to fill in this game. And based on those, uh, I mean, there's a lot of different ways you can build your decks. And honestly, all of them are good. But I can't really talk about most of them because building a hero's deck, it, it, uh, it's not really that important. It, what you're building is you're building a deck as a team. And, and so it's, it's kind of hard to talk about a hero and their cards individually, unless you're, you're going about deck building in a very vertical way, where it's this hero is filling this role and has cards that fit that role. And so I'm going to stick with that assumption, but just know that I'm not saying any other way of deck building is bad. It's just really the only productive way that I can talk about these heroes. So, like I said, I have uh, five roles that a hero can fill on my team. Um, the first one is a controller, and this is someone who's going to control a lane specifically, not not the dome. Some And uh, preferably, I want them to be able to kill two minions in one turn. That's the mark of a, a good controller to me, someone who can really hold down a lane. Um, this, I mean, obviously there's Astrida and Tlacali in the game who are also very good controllers, and they, they functionally kill two minions in one turn. Uh, Astrida spawns an extra minion instead of killing a second one, and Tlacali just protects your minions all around the board. So they count as well. But ideally, a controller should be able to kill two minions a turn or at least have be able to add that same value as killing two minions would. Then the uh, the second role is the brawler. Uh, this is someone who can control the dome. And uh, when I say that, what I mean is they need to be durable enough that they can go into the dome and not die. And they also preferably have some way to move people around or or just make their life difficult. Um, the, one of the best ways to control the dome is pushing people out of it and pushing them out where they just don't matter anymore. So um, anyone who has any sort of like pushing or moving abilities and who is durable enough to stay alive, those are people who are going to be uh, good at uh, brawling. Then we've got uh, our two damage roles. The first one is assassin. This is people who can kill people who don't have armor. Or they can also kill people who have like one armor, but definitely no tanks. And then you've got your mages, which are basically everyone who has a mage. Anyone who can do piercing damage and can kill a tank. Um, then the last one, the last one's a little bit more nebulous. It's just support is what I call it. Uh, but really the way I see these people are there, they're anyone who can like buff or debuff your team. This is people like, uh, Brilvar who can make people attack him or, um, even Shafathi who can let your team predict. That's a, a decent supporting role ability. So what I'm going to do with each hero is kind of give you any primary roles they fill. That's, hey, they do this role very well, and then any secondary roles they can fill. And this is things that they can do, or they can at least help your team do, but they don't necessarily do it well enough or that they could replace someone who's who specializes at this. Um, I'm also going to talk about any like notable card or hero combos. So, for instance, Kanui and Ekrit and Nupton, they work very well together, and I'll kind of talk about that. And then lastly, I want to talk about... Are there any ways to counter this character? Is there anything that you need to watch out when you're playing this? Or if you're playing against them, what should you be trying to do? First up in our hero breakdown, we have Akuti, the blue-yellow 
support for Nupton. Now, Akuti has a, a fairly normal stat line for a support with one exception. She does uh, 2 plus a card damage and is ranged. She has 16 health, and then she has 0 armor, which uh, is abnormal for a specialist. Most specialists, well, all other specialists have 1 armor. Uh, but you'll see why. She, she has an ability that gives her armor, so it's just to, uh, to keep her from getting a little bit too strong. So, um, her first ability says it's called Retribution, and it says... When Akuti resolves an attack action, she may deal one plus a card damage to an enemy minion adjacent to her illusion. Uh, this ability is fantastic. It uh, will let you kill two minions, so she's obviously a good candidate for a controller. Um, a couple of important things to note in here. First of all, it just says resolves an attack action. Now, that's important because it doesn't say she has to defeat a minion, which a lot of the other control abilities in this game do. Um, she also, it also just says enemy minion adjacent to her illusion. It doesn't say target enemy minion, so your illusion doesn't technically have to have line of sight of them. This means that you can use her illusion to kill uh, minions that are in cover hexes, which can be really, uh, really great. Um, also, you can resolve that first attack action against anything. You don't even have to be able to see your illusion. And so you can use this to uh, be in one lane, your illusion's in another lane, you attack a minion over there, and then kill a minion in the other lane. Um, really, really great. Uh, I don't typically use it like that. Usually I just keep her in the lane next to her illusion, but there have definitely been times when I've applied fast to myself, run away, and then still used my illusion to, uh, to kill a minion over there. Uh, her second ability is Resonant Light. Uh, this is her projection ability, so any Nupton heroes that can see her illusion get this ability. It says Resonant Light. Projected heroes have plus one armor. Very simple, very straightforward, and that's why she has the zero armor in her base stat line. Lastly, we have her ultimate, um, Word of Nupton. This is a well, this is a fairly lackluster ultimate, in my opinion. Probably, I would rank it as very near the bottom of all ultimates in this game, if not the bottom. Uh, the text says, uh, heal each friendly hero in Akuti's line of sight, 3 HP, and then apply disarm to each enemy hero in her illusion's line of sight. Now this card is a reaction, so you can play it on other people's turn, and it can be used to like save someone's life with either disarming or healing them. But you just you compare it to other ultimates in the game, like uh, uh, Frails is a good example. Frails also heals three HP, but she does it to everyone on the battlefield, and then she can also deal damage to anyone she can see, which is just so much better than this one. Um, you're not typically going to have line of sight of more than one, maybe two of your allies if this is a really bunched up game towards the late game. And so you're going to be getting maybe six healing out of this and then maybe apply disarm to one or two people, which can be really good. I mean, it is still an ultimate ability, but compared to the other ones, eh, the value is not really there. So what roles can Akuti fill? Uh, well, her, uh, her first ability makes her an obvious candidate for controller. She, she checks that box of being able to kill two minions in one lane. Um, that's really all you need. And then she also is ranged, so it's harder to get away from her. She has the ability to reach those minions without putting herself in too much danger. Um, yeah, controller would I definitely is what I would definitely say her primary role is. Uh, and then her secondary role, I would say, is support. Um, that plus one armor is very important for Nupton, uh, since they don't have very much armor across the board especially with their two mages who can just get melted very quickly. Uh, the ability to give them one armor is, is huge. So she can be brought as kind of a support. I like to bring her along with a, a Sateru or a Shafathi, because uh, that way she can control the lane, and as long as they're near her, 
uh, they get a little bit of extra tankiness that can just, it, it can help extend their life another few attacks. Um, yeah, uh, other than that, let's see. How can you counter a Kuti? Um, uh, killing her illusion is pretty bad. Uh, attacking her illusion, I mean, that's going to be a way to counter all of these people. But uh, also, if you can push her out of line of sight of her illusion, that helps. Uh, not having that one armor means you can kill her pretty quickly if she doesn't get that plus one from her bonus. Um, other ways to counter Kuti, um, there really there really aren't a ton, but it, it is kind of balanced out by the fact that she's just kind of a, a middle-of-the-line controller. She kills the two minions, and, and that's about it. She has some extra flexibility, but she doesn't have the power of like an Astrida ability, and so there's less ways to counter it. Now, as far as uh, notable combos or cards or heroes or anything like that, as I said before, pairing her up with uh, any of your three damage dealers in Nupton can be very good. That's uh, Habrat, Soteru, and Shafathi, the two mages in the Assassin. Giving them that plus one armor can really help extend their life and also make them less of a, a, a juicy target. I know whenever I see a Soteru on the opposite team that doesn't have an Akuti with him, I just immediately know I can kill that guy in one, maybe two turns if it really takes that much. But uh, as soon as he gets that extra armor, it kind of just, it takes away the, the temptation of it. Not to say they aren't still going to attack him. I mean, he does have four less health than almost everyone in the game, but but it can help. Uh, as far as notable cards go, um, she doesn't really need any cards to succeed. She doesn't need fast. She doesn't need um, like any quick shot or anything like that in order to be able to fulfill her role. Really, is you can bring whatever you'd like on a Kuti, and she's going to do just fine. Her abilities, they match with each other, and they're going to let you do what you brought her to do. Let's uh, go ahead and move on to Ekrit. She is the specialist for Nupton, uh, with blue, yellow mana runes as well. Now, uh, Ekrit has a, a normal specialist stat line. It's 2 plus a card damage, uh, ranged, 16 health, and 1 armor. Ekrit is uh, really, really strong right now. She's uh, number one picked. Uh, her and Estrida have been kind of like, going back and forth on who gets picked the most in the, uh, the meta stats. But really, really great, versatile champion here. And you'll see why as we go over her abilities. Uh, so the first one is Wind Barrier. Now, this is the, the bread and butter of Ekrit, and this is what makes her so good. So um, I'll read what it says, and then I'll kind of explain it a little bit better and kind of give you some ideas of what it can let you do. So it says, uh, Ekrit's attack actions may hit all enemies in the AoE instead of a single target. The AoE must hit her illusion. All enemy heroes damaged by the attack are pushed one hex. Now, uh, the AoE, just so you know what that means, that's area of effect, and it is four hexes in a straight line out from Ekrit. Uh, you may notice that four is bigger than three, which is everyone else in the game's range if they're ranged. So first of all, she just has a longer range than everyone else. On top of that, she can hit multiple targets, and she doesn't need a target, and she can kill multiple minions with one attack. Uh, just so many boxes checked with a single ability there. And then on top of that, it also pushes people it hits, so she has a free push every time she attacks, as long as she can line up that shot. So what makes Ekrit so scary, I mean, already that's a very versatile skill, but uh, it's the ability to cross that dome line. Uh, we'll get into this a little bit later when I go over the different roles she can fill. But uh, being able to attack people who are outside the dome from inside the dome is, uh, is very strong. And anyone who can do it is going to automatically just give you extra flexibility. Uh, her second ability, her projection ability, is called Lady of Gales. It says, uh, projected heroes cannot be moved by effects generated by enemies. So this is also a great ability. I mean, it's not quite as flashy as her first one, but 
it's awesome. It means you can have just peace of mind anywhere her illusion is. You know that your heroes are going to stay where they are, which can be huge, especially when you're playing against certain factions uh, like green, for instance, who has slide that can let them move you one or blue with chasm. Every faction has little ways to mess with you. And this just cancels them all out. Uh, really great ability to just put on top of it, especially since she's almost always going to have that illusion out and have line of sight of it. Lastly is her ultimate, which I would say is honestly one of the best in the game. It's, uh, it's a reaction called Eye of the Storm. Uh, this also has an AoE. It's uh, basically everything adjacent to her illusion. So the, the text says, Ekrit cannot be targeted. Place the AoE on top of her illusion, deal two damage to each enemy hit, and push them two hexes. So there's uh, there's kind of three parts to this. First of all, Ekrit can't be targeted. So worst case scenario, you can hold on to this as it is a reaction. Wait till someone attacks you. Play this. You're no longer a valid target. And then it also can kill as many minions as are next to your illusion and then push any heroes next to your illusion two hexes. And two hexes is so good in this game. There are no effects that can let you push someone two hexes that aren't an ultimate. And the fact that you can push multiple people is just crazy. Um, the ideal use of this would be to put it next to four minions and two heroes, preferably one that's been leading. And then you you pop this to cancel an ultimate or cancel an attack or something. And then you also push two heroes that have already gone out of range of a control token and kill four minions. It can be absolutely devastating and can really swing a lane that you're losing. Or if your opponent looks like they're trying to come back on a lane that you're winning, you can just push them out and really, really seal your victory. So we've gone through all of her abilities. You can kind of see now why people like to pick her. There's a lot of versatility. So what roles can she fill? Uh, in my opinion, her primary role is as a brawler. And, uh, and I'll say why. In instead of having her as a controller, someone that's going to control your lane, the reason why is because she can, she can attack across that dome line, like I said earlier. Now, there is no one that can do it as effectively as her, and the fact that she gets an extra range and can hit multiple people, can kill multiple minions, all while staying inside of the dome and still applying pressure, makes her such a good brawler. And on top of that, one of the best ways to control the dome is to push your enemy out of it, and she gets a free push and can't be pushed herself. So she's kind of just built for it. Um, the, the classic opening move with Eckerd is to put her in your front line when you draft heroes, and then move her forward three hexes into the uh, the middle of the dome. Then worship to place your illusion in a line and kill both minions in one of the two side lanes. Um, it's a fantastic opening move and it, it really just kind of illustrates exactly what you're going to be trying to do all game with her. And it also just puts a lot of pressure on your opponent. They're going to have to really worry about not letting giving you a uh, shot that you can line up to push them out of range of a control token or deal extra damage to someone you're trying to kill or... She's just this this board presence from the middle uh, with that four range. Um, now, what uh, her second ability, I would say her second role would be to uh, be a support. Um, I, well, no, her secondary abilities are, are mostly controller is, uh, is really what I've come down to because she can t kill uh, multiple minions um, pretty reliably. So if, if you aren't going to put her in the dome, you can put her in a lane and she will do a great job. So, notable combos. Uh, well, Kanui is the first one. Kanui and her work very well together, and there's, there's a couple reasons for that. Um, the first one is how she benefits Kanui. So, Kanui, the, the best way to counter her, we'll, we'll get to her in, here in a little bit, but Kanui wants to stay next to her illusion. So, the best way to counter her is to push her and move her around, 
which if she's near Ekrit and can see her uh, illusion, you can't do that to her. And so it suddenly takes the, uh, the biggest counter to Kanui and just shuts it off completely. Um, and on top of that, uh, Kanui's projected ability would let Ekrit move for free any time that she loses HP. And this can be huge because with Ekrit, you're always trying to line up that shot uh, with your illusion. So you end up kind of pivoting around it, trying not to have to take that worship action. And so if your opponent damages you, it can a lot of the times let you move one hex into that perfect spot where you don't have to waste an action on either moving or worshiping the next turn. Um, can be a really, really dynamic duo there in the center. Um, I really like playing them both together. Now, notable cards for Ekrit. Well, with her being a brawler, you're going to want to bring things that will let her, uh, her move people and also things that will let her move herself. So, um, like I mentioned before with Kanui, being able to move one hex with Ekrit can be a huge deal. Because in a, a perfect world, what you want to be able to do is attack. Um, well, you want to be able to either move or worship, but not have to do both to line up your attack. Then attack, and then be able to lead from, your, from the deck or from your hand, in order to really pry, apply hard pressure to wherever you are uh, currently controlling. And so, because it's a, it's a guaranteed lead card, as long as she can see her illusion, there's nothing they can do about it except for try and kill her. And she's got that one armor, so she's not an easy target. Um, so, if you can bring Time Warp, Time Warp will let you move her one hex, and it can really be a huge lifesaver. It's also just a great defensive card, so bringing it is awesome anyway. Uh, watch out, because it is a minus one, but uh, I really love Time Warp on Ekrit. It can really help you just, like I said, kind of save that action, because all you need to do is just worship and then kind of slide over to the left one hex, and then your shot's lined up. Um, other combos, there aren't really any other cards that she really needs. Once again, she's, uh, she's pretty self-sustaining. She doesn't really need anything to succeed. Even Time Warp is just a, a nice to have, and it's a great card, so why not? Um, but anything else, uh, she's going to be just fine. But things I recommend bringing on her, something like Twister of Souls, or really anything that's going to let you move that enemy. Uh, because you want to be able to, uh, well, push one is not normally enough, and that's all you get with her attack. Especially if Eckert's in the game, nobody's going to leave themselves vulnerable to a one push being able to push them out of the dome or out of range of a control token. And so, being able to do one extra push can be really huge so bringing something like twister of souls or chasm since she does have that blue rune can really really help you seal that deal because you can push them with your attack then play chasm push them one more and there's not much they can do to prepare for that lastly how do you counter Ekrit? well it's all about just being aware of her um be smart when you're placing your minions whenever you spawn them don't give her an easy shot to line up you can almost never prevent her from having a shot lined up but make it hard on her. Make it so she has to spend that move or has to move skirmish or it has to just make it difficult on her and be aware of her when you're spawning those minions. Same thing goes for your heroes. Just be aware that she's there. Never be on the edge of the dome unless you want to get pushed out. Never be on the edge of a control token unless you want to get pushed away because she can reach you. Four hexes is a lot in this game and she will find a way to get that push off on you. So really uh, just making sure that you're aware of her is really the best way to counter her. Also, uh, she can be fairly obvious with when she's trying to line up her illusion for an awesome ultimate. And so, seeing as it is a reaction, uh, a really good thing to do is when she goes to line that up, just target it with an attack and force her to, to set it off early or force her to have to play that card. Um, it, it can be really good, especially if 
she's waiting for someone else to come into range or she's waiting for, for something. It can just, it can be a good way to at least try to mitigate the effectiveness of that ultimate. But overall, Ekrid is, is very strong. So just try to be aware of her and make sure you're paying attention to your positioning if she is in your game. Next, we move on to Habarat. He is the assassin for, uh, for Neptun. He is red-yellow, our first red-yellow champion. And uh, he's got a, a melee assassin stat line, which means he's got uh, four plus two cards damage, 18 health, and no armor. So this guy can get in there, he can do a lot of damage to you, and he can, <laughs> he can die real fast. Uh, something I've noticed with these assassins is they are, they are deceptively squishy. And by that I mean 18 health looks like a lot, but honestly, it, uh, you can melt them down pretty quickly. So, um, as far as his abilities go, Habarat's first ability is uh, Outnumber. Uh, Habarat has plus one attack while attacking an enemy that is adjacent to his illusion. So, just like Akimo, the other melee assassin, uh, he has the ability to get up to five plus two cards damage, as long as you're playing smart with that illusion. Uh, his second ability is Way of the Rogue. When a projected hero damages an enemy minion with an attack action, you may move them one hex. This is a, it's a pretty cool ability. I haven't, there's been very few times when I've been able to use it effectively because you do have to kill an enemy minion with an attack action. That is important to note. You can't just like play a quick shot, destroy a minion, and then move one hex. You do have to use an attack action. Uh, something this can be used, with, uh, a cool little combo is with Dragon Punch, and uh, I'll go over that in the, uh, the combo section. Lastly, we have his ultimate. This is our first action ultimate, and it's not a reaction. You do have to play this on his turn, and uh, you'll see why. It's called Blades of Lightning, and it says, When Habarat declares an attack action, deal 4 plus a card damage to all enemies adjacent to his illusion. This card is probably the best double kill card in the game. Um, this ultimate is really the way you secure a, uh, a double kill, because you it basically gives you a free attack every time you declare an attack action. And the best part is, you don't have to be anywhere your illusion in order to do it. So you can move your illusion next to one opponent who's low, move Habrat next to another, and especially if you can get Frenzy on him, um, you can do two attacks on two people and hopefully secure that double kill victory. Um, let's see, and what roles does he fulfill? Well, obviously, Assassin. This guy can just murder people. Uh, it's what he does, he does it very well, and uh, yeah, he fills this role very well. Uh, he's also, he's a decent controller, um, and the reason for this is, is first of all, that Way of the Rogue ability can be pretty helpful. It can let you kind of move into position to uh, move around the, the minion lane, as being melee, it can kind of be hard to get access to minions sometimes. And, uh, and also, he has a lot of threat, and so against laners like uh, Astrida or Tlakali, who are both very strong, one of the best counters is since they have to damage themselves in order to, um, in order to use their ability, uh, he is a great counter as a, a controller because he can bring cards that will let him kill multiple minions, but also if they step one toe out of line, he jumps on their face and he murders them. And they, they either have to choose between using their ability at 4 HP or trying to live and running away. And so uh, Habarat can be a really great, uh, as, at least as a secondary role, bringing him as a controller can, can work very well, uh, but really is just as a specific counter to those types of characters. In his assassin role, uh, as far as notable combos or cards that you'll want to bring with him, um, honestly, for his ultimate, anything that'll give him frenzy. So uh, Unstoppable comes to mind. It's the uh, the three-cost red card. 
It gives you fast and frenzy. So that way you can get over to the person um, and then you can attack twice and trigger that ultimate two times. Uh, other cards that are really important on him, I, I really love bringing Shadow of Death specifically on Habarat. Uh, usually like one or two copies. But uh, one of the biggest counters to melee mages is moving out of range. They declare an attack action, you play a time warp, you move over one, now they can't attack you. Uh, that's the biggest counter to melee mages that there is, and, it, and every single faction has access to at least one ability that can do that. Either push you away or push them away. And uh, so it's very important to be able to, to prepare for that, um, because if you jump on someone, there's nothing worse than spending an attack action and they move one and then it fizzles. And so you have to always be aware of that. So bringing something like Shadow of Death or, or Time Warp or Dodge, which are cards that let you move him, those can be great as well. Um, really just pick your poison, but make sure that you're bringing something that will let you stick to your target so that when you choose your moment, you can actually capitalize on it. Um, also, making sure that you go later in the round with Habarat can be very good because um, you want to typically attack heroes who have used their mana already because then you don't have to worry about them playing those cards. Um, other combos are Dragon Punch. I, I mentioned it earlier, and I'll tell you here why it's so good on him. Um, his, uh, his second ability, his projection ability, lets you move one hex anytime you defeat a minion, or sorry, damage a minion with your attack action. Um, and a Dragon Punch can let you kill up to five minions uh, with one attack action, which means you could declare an attack with Dragon Punch, kill five minions, and then move five hexes. Um, just a fun little combo. I've never actually pulled it off in a game, but it's just a fun little thing to think about. It also just goes a long way to helping him uh, secure kills, since most of the movement abilities in the game only let you move one or two. Having Dragon Punch kind of extends his range a little bit, and it also just it gives you a little bit more flexibility, and it helps support that secondary control as well. Dragon Punch is a great card on Habarat. Those are really the, the only notable combos or notable cards that you really need to know about. Habrat is is a very good assassin. He's he's my assassin of choice. Well, that's not true. I love Akimo too, but uh, Habrat has a special place in my heart as well. Just they're different card pools with Akimo having green and Habrat having yellow, means they have very different uh, upsides and downsides. So just keep in mind what Habrat can do, and uh, that double kill on Blades of Lightning can uh, can win you games. It's definitely one at least a few for me. Up next we've got uh, Kanui. Kanui is the blue-yellow warrior for Nupton. She is uh, kind of their defensive character. Um, her abilities are 3 plus a card damage at melee. She has 18 health and then 1 armor. Um, that's fairly normal stat line for, for uh, a warrior. Uh, she's got uh, her two abilities. Her first one is Echoed. While adjacent to her illusion, Kanui cannot be targeted by attack actions. Once again, this is her bread and butter right there. This is what makes Kanui so annoying to play against she basically just you just you kind of have to ignore her i guess but she's got that three damage that can make her just just really scary um and then her second ability is is the defensive ability that she kind of brings to the table it's her projection ability called acrobatic escape it says when a projected hero loses hp you may move them one hex um this this can really do a great job of keeping heroes alive uh, like I said with uh, with Habarat, one of the biggest counters to melee assassins is um, just moving out of range. And so the ability to uh, to move someone one hex every time they lose HP, uh, I'll be honest, I wish there were some times that uh, I could play green cards with yellow so that they could I could force my characters to lose one HP so that I could move them one hex whenever I wanted to. 
Uh, I'm sure cards like that will be coming in the pool later, and I'm very excited because that will be a, that'll be a really strong use of her abilities. But just keep it in mind, you can use this to help kind of protect a Sateru or a Shafathi. Um, if someone jumps on top of them, just to kind of move away, move across the dome, whatever you need to do to keep them safe. Her ultimate is Echo Dance, and this is probably the the best worst ultimate <laughs> that that I have seen in this game. It can either be incredible or completely worthless, um, and it really never falls anywhere in between. And and a big part of that comes down to the fact that it's an action. So it is an action, it's called Echo Dance, and what it does is it says, move all friendly illusions three hexes. Then you may place any friendly hero in line of sight of their illusion. Uh, so what it can let you do essentially is move heroes just all over the place. Uh, if you're losing and you need to get people to different lanes, or if you uh, need to escape with a character so they don't die, it, it can let you do that. You can move upwards of six hexes with it. And the reason you can move so far is because it says place them in line of sight of their illusion, not adjacent to. Now, the reason this is so situational is because a lot of games, I'm right where I need to be. Uh, this would be a great reaction to save someone's life if I could play it and then move them across the board. That would be fantastic. I, I can understand why they didn't do that. Uh, I have this picture in my mind of... Uh, I don't know, Kanui just playing this and all of a sudden everyone's in different places and it, it would be a very strong thing to, uh, to have to play against. But um, a, a few recommendations for it. I recommend if you are going to play it, play it at the end. Uh, like go with Kanui last because it can really surprise them and they don't really have a chance to react, especially if you're the second player. Uh, it can be a really great ultimate, but I, I'll be honest, sometimes I've led with it from my hand because I look at the board, I'm exactly where I need to be, I'm in control, and boy oh boy do I really need three mana. So, not a bad ultimate, can be amazing, can be worthless. Now, roles Kanui fulfills, uh, She she's first and foremost a brawler. You put her in the dome, people can't attack her, she can attack them. Yeah, there's just not much they can do about her. Kanui's uh, biggest strength is just her, her sticking power. She's just kind of annoying. Wherever she decides to set up shop, she's she's going to be there. I, I kind of see her almost like a, a melee turret character. You set her up in a place, and then she's there. And then if you ever move her again, then you set her up again, and then she's there. Because really, you're just going to be trying to dance around that illusion so that she can never be targeted by attack actions which can make her just so annoying, especially against this, uh, just in the dome, being unable to target her as she's doing damage to you. Uh, a big part of the dome is just outliving your opponent, and so uh, she can. she's just annoying and makes her a great brawler. Her secondary role, is, I would say her secondary roles are support, or she can be a controller if you really need her to be. That ability to not be targeted by attack actions can make her fairly strong in lane, but... Uh, she needs a lot of cards to support it because uh, she has no real ability to interact with minions or nothing to support her being a controller at all. But that acrobatic escape can be a great support and uh, and her ultimate as well. Both of them can help you kind of defend your characters. Uh, notable combos? Uh, well, Ekrit, we already talked about that. Does a great job with her. Also, a time warp. Anything that can help her stay next to her illusion. So, uh... She can't, let's see, yeah, Time Warp is great, it lets her slide back next to her illusion if someone's trying to attack her and moves her away, and then anything really that will let her push other people, just so that you, since she is trying to be in the dome, bringing a chasm or something like that can really help you uh, do some damage. Uh, overall, Kanui's probably the uh, the one person in the uh, the Neptune faction that I haven't really figured out yet, I'll, uh, I'll admit to that. 
I've played her to great effect a couple of times, but when I look at which four heroes I want to bring, Kanui is almost always at the bottom. And uh, looking at the, uh, the meta stats, it looks like I'm not alone. Last time I checked, she was the least picked hero in the entire game. Which is pretty sad, because she is solid, but I think the problem is just when you when you read her abilities, nothing like jumps out at you as being like super strong, and then you play her, and there's also nothing that's super strong, because her biggest strength is that no one interacts with her. They just kind of have to ignore her, and she just gets to be there. And that's not super fun to play. She's very good, but she's just not fun. Well, maybe that's a little bit too harsh. She is fun. But it's just, you don't get to actively do anything. You just stop your opponent from want doing whatever they wanted to do. Okay, we've got two more left, and they're the uh, the two mages of Nupton. The first one is the ranged mage, Soteru. Uh, he's got red-yellow. And um, he is your, he's he's the ultimate damage mage. He uh, His first ability is Master of Illusions. While in line of sight with his illusion, Soteru deals plus one damage with power cards effects. Uh, this is the this is what makes Ateru the damage mage. Getting plus one damage out of every power card that you play is just so good. It increases the efficiency of every one of those cards. Um, take let, let's take migraine for example. Migraine is a great card, and uh, what it does is it lets you apply disarm to a, a target enemy hero. So it lets you apply disarm at range, which can be fantastic. And on top of that, it also has two damage which is great. It's not a huge deal, but it, it's something, and it just adds a little bit more value. Suddenly, you pump that up to three, and now for two mana, you can deal three piercing damage and apply disarm to a target enemy hero at range as a reaction, and that is such a better sell. It suddenly takes this card from being like right in line with the power curve to way above. Um, that plus one is so good, and I, and I love that basically this ability is just, it's basically just a projected effect for only him. Speaking of projected effects, uh, his projection effect is Lord of Sky Tear. Projected heroes may play power cards as though they were in the same hex as Satera's Illusion. This is a, a a pretty cool ability that gets used fairly situationally for me. Um, I tend to use it with him whenever I need to play a, something that needs to be adjacent to someone. With him being a melee mage, or sorry, a ranged mage, he only has 14 health, and uh, it really only takes like two good attacks for him to be on the verge of death. And so uh, the ability to play cards that need to be adjacent to something while not having to be adjacent to something can help you kind of keep them in the back line and keep them a little bit safer. Uh, the other thing that this is great for is any sort of movement ability. So um, let's take dodge as an example. Uh, let's say that your illusion is three hexes away. If you play dodge, you can target a hex within two hexes of your illusion instead of within two hexes of you. So what this means is you can essentially move five hexes with dodge. In my mind, Soteru is basically just about taking the efficiency of all of these cards that you have in the game and just, like, boosting it just to the next level. Because you get extra effect out of movement cards, which are arguably the most powerful cards in the game right now. And then you get uh, you get extra effect out of damage cards, which are the other powerful cards. So he just uh, he just boosts that. I've, I've waxed poetic long enough. Let's go over his ultimate. This is another action. It's called Last Judgment. And this one is is very fun. Basically, it's a, a circle AoE, so it's a hex and everything around it. It says, uh, place the AoE on target hex anywhere on the battlefield. Line of sight is not required. Deal four damage to each enemy hero hit. Now, uh, something to keep in mind here. That does say the word target, which means redirect. The yellow card that lets you change a target 
can really, really screw you over. Um, <laughs> just be careful when you're playing Zotero and you play as ultimate. Don't be in range of someone that has mana left and can cast yellow because they probably brought redirect because it's just it's an amazing card. And it completely fizzles your ultimate because they can just pick any hex on the battlefield. And there is at least one safe hex on the battlefield that will make your ultimate do nothing. However, that aside, if you can pull it off, if you do it safely and do it right, you can deal five damage to two or three enemy heroes piercing anywhere on the battlefield. Um, this is another great candidate for double kill, getting an attack off and then just plopping this thing down on anyone that thought they were safe. You really can't escape from this guy. His ability to extend his range through his illusion and then also just play this ultimate. You, If Satoru wants to kill you, running away is not the answer. Try to kill him instead. So with that said, what what roles does he fulfill? Well, I mean, he honestly just fills one and it's he's a mage. He is very good at killing tanks. He's honestly very good at killing anyone. That plus one damage means that he can actually kind of take the assassin role as well. Uh, the one reason I kind of hesitate to put him in that role is because he is a very squishy, which means if anyone gets on top of him, he will die, just like any other ranged mage in this game. But that plus one damage and the uh, the extra tricks of being able to play from his illusion makes him a very, very strong candidate for mage, whereas a lot of the other ranged mages are are have a very strong case for being played as supports. He is a mage through and through. Uh, notable combos... I already mentioned a few of them. Anything that does damage to get that plus one. And then any of those movement skills, especially dodge. Uh, time warp as well. I mean, moving four and not having to target is also amazing. But uh, definitely make sure that you're bringing at least one of those movement reactions with Sateru. Uh, because he gets a ton out of them and he is going to need them. Uh, I cannot overemphasize how easy it is to kill these ranged mages in this game. So having that extra defensive option is going to be really important because typically Time Warp and Dodge won't let you escape a, uh, a ranged character. But in Sateru's case, if you're playing well with that illusion, you can actually get out of range of them, which is is really good. Sateru's fantastic. Uh, he's, he's, I don't really feel like I need to talk much about him, even though I have, because you read his card and you know exactly what you're supposed to do with him. It's very straightforward. Don't overthink it. Okay, last but not least, we have Shafathi. Shafat, Shafath, Shafati. I, I don't know. I've probably slaughtered every name in this faction. But I'm going to say Shafathi. He is a, a red-yellow. He is a mage. And he is unique in that he is the only melee mage in the game. Well, the only true melee mage. Korjaf's melee sometimes. Shafathi's stats are 3 plus a card melee, 18 health, and no armor. So that extra 4 health is real nice, but with him being melee... You still, you still have to be really careful. Uh, he can also disappear real quick. Just like Assassin's, 18 health is, it, it makes you feel safe, but uh, you're really one, uh, you're going to live one-ish attack longer than uh, Satera would. Now, Shafathi's fun. He's got weird abilities. So let, let's dive into him. The first one is Time Overlap. When Shafathi resolves a skirmish action, he may swap himself with his illusion. This is what makes Shafathi fun. Uh, all of these top abilities are, are kind of the bread and butter of the uh, the character, and this uh, Shafathi is no exception to that rule. Keep in mind that the, the wording's a little bit fuzzy, but it says when Shafathi resolves a skirmish action, 
So uh, the switch does have to happen after your skirmish action happens, which is, I mean, I wish it was the other way. It'd be more fun to be able to like declare a skirmish and then all of a sudden be on the other side of the board. But I think the point of that is that it's used more defensively than offensively. It's not supposed to be you appear in front of someone and kill them. It's supposed to be you're in front of someone, you attack them, you skirmish them, and then you disappear uh, to help keep him alive since he is melee. His, uh, his projection ability is also fantastic. It's one of two sources of, of uh, predict in the game from heroes right now. It says, Schemer's Projection. Uh, when a projected hero declares a skirmish action, you may predict one. Now this, uh, it doesn't sound that good, or at least it, it didn't to me when I first read it. Uh, I read it and I was like, eh, predict one, whatever. But it is, it is very good. I, uh, the best way to play this guy is to make sure that you're getting as many people to utilize this as possible. Um, not only does this let you capitalize on the damage you're going to do with your skirmish, since um, all the damage you're doing with your skirmish is from the card you're flipping, it can help you kind of mitigate bad modifiers in your deck. But also, if you uh, predict that one and see a three mana cost card down there, just don't flip a card for your skirmish attack, since it wasn't going to do any damage anyway, and you can lead from the deck knowing exactly what's under there. Uh, can be really, really fantastic. It's a, a big part of when we, why when we go over his roles, I am going to put him as a, a controller. So, uh, let's go down to his ultimate. Now, this ultimate is is one of the best ultimates in the game. It is very good. It's a reaction. It kind of has to be. And it has some, uh, some text in italics that says, You can play this card only when the last hero is exhausted during a hero's phase. Um, now, that's important, because what it says is, Ready Shafathi, then you may place him adjacent to his illusion. So basically, you just get to uh, take an extra turn and potentially teleport yourself across the map or teleport yourself to wherever you need to be. So as long as you know you're going to be playing this, make sure you get that illusion in the perfect place and then you place him adjacent to his illusion, which is huge because normally you have to swap with it, which means you can't get that projected ability. But now you place yourself next to it, you're going to get that predict one, and you're also going to get to move next to it. Okay, let's get into this guy's roles. Uh, I'm going to talk about Shafathi for a while because he is very weird. And um, there's just a few things that I learned playing him that I, I just I want to share with people. Because he is a lot better than I gave him credit for before I tried him. So, uh, roles. First of all, he's a mage. He can kill stuff. He's, he's very good at it. Um, that ability to move around the map means that people can't really get away from him. And he's got that armor piercing. So um, tanks are going to have a really hard time with him since most tanks want you to be next to them. And Shafathi also wants to be next to you. Also, the uh, the current tank abilities are Brilvar, which makes you attack him. Shafathi's fine with that. And Ixitasco applies slow. Shafathi's also fine with that because he mostly skirmishes and swaps places with his illusion. So slow doesn't really affect him at all. So Shafathi can be a very, very effective tank, just a tank annihilator. Um, his secondary, I would say he uh, he's a very good support and controller. And uh, it's for the reasons I listed before. Uh, the reason he's a great support is because he can provide you with predict. And the only other way to get predict besides um, presence, let's see, I think there's really only like three sources of it besides Shafathi. There's Kaichi's markability. There's presence, the blue card. And then there's uh, Biting Time, the uh, neutral card that's technically blue. Um, which means it's a very powerful and rare ability. And so if you can take advantage of that, it is so strong. And uh, it's also that second ability that makes him such a good controller. Because being able to predict, it means that 
you can lead from the deck, not have to lead from your hand, and still know what's under there. You can still know, okay, that's a two, so you can then plan. And the dude can be wherever you need him to be. One of my favorite ways to play Shafathi, maybe not the best, and I don't play him like this always, but one of my favorites is to, at the very beginning of the game, worship and put his illusion on one side of the map and then move him to the other side of the map. Because then at any time, I can swap places and I can constantly be wherever I need him to be. And since you're swapping places with your illusion, it means that you can go right back to the lane you just left behind as soon as you, uh, just the next turn. This is, it's it's just such a key part about him. And it's uh, a big part of why, why countering him it relies entirely on manipulating his illusion. Other things to note is uh, there's basically just, there's two ways to play him in my mind. There's the splitting of him and his illusion and then constantly bouncing back and forth whenever you need to. And then there's the keeping him next to his illusion and pairing him up with at least one, if not two other people, so you can maximize that predict. Both are very good. They, I typically just kind of respond to the objectives and who else I've brought on my team. But uh, keep them both in mind whenever you draft him. He's very versatile. Okay, combos for Shafathi. Um, I'll be honest. There, there aren't really any that I could come up with. Um, what he's really good at is just kind of smoothing your deck out as far as mana and modifiers go because of that predict. And, um, I mean, you don't have to bring gank if you have him a lot of the times because he just kind of has a gank built in. But, uh, honestly, with Shafathi, his combos are more um, hero-based. He can kind of help you um, compensate for bad modifiers in your deck or compensate for, like, a low amount of three mana cost cards or, or no controllers on your team, no true controllers. That ability, as long as you can kind of milk that predictability, he can just kind of help you smooth out some of your weaknesses uh, as far as modifiers or leading goes. But uh, no no real true combos that I could find with him. No heroes that he works especially well with or, or cards, really. Um, anything to give him movement so he can get in range and then try and keep him safe. But uh, how do you counter Shafathi? Uh, well, with all of his power, with being able to switch with his illusion, there's a very, very easy counter to this guy, and it's just stand on top of his illusion. Uh, whether it's a minion or a hero or even a friendly hero, if someone's on top of his illusion, he cannot switch with it, which means yeah, suddenly his entire top ability has just been wiped off the, the uh, wiped away from the game, and you honestly don't even have to really waste an action on it. Um, one of the worst things about uh, getting rid of people's illusions is you have to waste an attack. And attack is by far the most valuable action in this game. So the fact that you can counter him, or at least counter his uh, his movement ability by just standing on top of it, especially with a ranged hero, that's not usually... It's not going to put you anywhere that you don't want to be since he's trying to get close to you. So keep that in mind. It's a very strong counter to his very strong ability. And uh, if you're playing Shafathi, it's going to force you to take a worship action. And a lot of the times you needed that action. You can't afford to take a worship action. Um, so um, yeah, that's pretty much the hard counter to him. And uh, as long as you do that, there's not really much that he can do because uh, he needs that ability. He really does. Otherwise, he's just kind of a, a subpar mage. Well, we are coming up on about 90 minutes here. And uh, that does it for our Nupton faction deep dive. Hopefully you, did, you learned something, and hopefully you didn't disagree with everything I said. Before we, we go, I do have a little bit of errata that was sent over to me by uh, Bugger Lugs, um, a Sky Terror community member who actually has his own podcast. Go check it out. 
But he sent over a little bit of errata, just about frenzy, and uh, what I was talking about in in the uh, the general faction overview. I talked about how I prefer um, piercing to frenzy, and specifically with blazing edge, the card that gives you plus two attack and piercing. And uh, he pointed out that frenzy is a a great option for killing two minions. It makes it very versatile, and uh, I completely agree with him. Uh, it's something that I actually have kind of learned as I was playing Nupton and Karoma over the last uh, week or so, trying to prepare for these podcast episodes. Frenzy is a fantastic control option that can very easily switch over to an aggression option. Whereas uh, Blazing Edge is pretty much useless against minions. If you use Blazing Edge against a minion, uh, they don't have armor and you don't need the extra attack. But if you bring Frenzy, then you can kill a minion and attack someone, attack someone twice, or kill two minions. So... Even though I would prefer Blazing Edge in the instance that I'm trying to kill someone specifically, uh, Frenzy's still great. It's still got its use, and uh, I was very grateful to him for pointing that out. So, we're going to go ahead and close out. Uh, next week, we're going to be covering Karomo. I've been playing a whole bunch preparing for them. They have a, a historically low win rate and pick rate, according to the meta stats. And I'm hoping that I can change that a little bit. I've been playing them a lot. I've fallen in love with them. And they're, they're very good. They just... They, uh, they play a little bit differently than advertised. Uh, when you look at them, you first think they're one thing, but you have to play them a little bit differently than that. And uh, hopefully I can, I can help illuminate a little bit of their, uh, kind of share their secrets. Tune in next week. I'd love to hear from you. I'd also love to hear any errata on this Nupton deep dive. If you uh, disagree with me on anything, or if I overlooked something, or if you know of like a combo or a card or anything, uh, shoot me a message on Discord. I'd love to hear it. There's also a, a Discord channel for this podcast. There will be a, a channel in it specifically for this episode where you can just come in and give me a big long list of everything I got wrong. I'd love to hear it from you. We'll go over it next week in the uh, the Chromo episode. We can talk about how wrong I was. But um, that about does it for us. I once again just want to thank you all for listening. I uh, This podcast has been a labor of love for me. And at the very least, hopefully it's gotten people talking more about Sky Tear. Come join the official Discord community. Play with someone on Tabletop Simulator. Yeah, the community is growing at an alarming rate. And we got we to gotta boost those Neptune win rates. Have a good one, everybody.